Good morning, I'm Anna Palmer, and welcome to The Daily Punch, brought to you by Punchbowl News. It is Friday, January 27th, 2023. TGIF, let's get into the mix. Here are your Washington headlines of the day. Number one, we've got the latest on the debt limit. Number two, the slow roll of the Senate. And number three, a new line from House Republicans to the Biden administration, treat us the same as Democrats. All right, let's get into it. We are leading Punchbowl News AM's newsletter this morning with a look at how the Republican chair of the House Budget Committee and how he is adamant that the U.S. government won't default on its debt even in the event of a debt ceiling breach. GOP Representative Jody Arrington from Texas told us Thursday that the U.S. government has, quote unquote, never defaulted on its debt. We won't default now, he added. So sure, Okay, well, that's great. Good, good line. But hypothetically, what if we do run out of the, uh, the fiscal clock and breach the limit? Arrington pointed to the Constitution and argued in terms of our creditors, they will be made whole. We will make our payments. So what is Arrington exactly talking about? Washington has long wondered what Treasury would do in the event of a debt default. Some have pointed to Section 4 of the 14th Amendment, which states that the validity of the public debt of the United States shall not be questioned. Of course, the core concern behind a federal debt ceiling breach is the unpredictability of the event itself. Like, let's step back here a little bit. At a minimum, financial markets will flip out. Government functions such as social security payments, food programs, military pay for, for service members might stop. The potential fallout here is far, far worse than a government shutdown. It's also unusual, perhaps unprecedented, to hear a budget committee chair make such an argument, but Republicans have quietly downplayed the impact of a default for years. This is not the conversation that the Treasury Department wants to have right now. Uh, as we've seen over the past several weeks, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen has spent time writing letters to congressional leadership about the risks of a default for the global financial system. The only viable approach to the debt ceiling, Yellen says, is raising the limit. Further, a Biden administration official said that a default could throw the country into chaos and result in the loss of millions of jobs. And Representative Brendan Boyle, the top Democrat on the Budget Committee, strongly disagreed with Arrington's take as well. Boyle said Democrats are open to discussions about spending, but Congress must first raise a debt ceiling boost without preconditions. Boyle and Arrington are both new in their committee leadership post this Congress, and they're going to meet today to discuss committee operations and other logistical issues. GOP leaders intend to draft a budget resolution that reduces spending to fiscal year 2022 levels, which would require tens of billions of dollars in cuts. Whether they can pass such a budget on the House floor or fiscal year 2024 spending bills that comply with those levels remain to be seen. Arrington, for his part, dismissed some of the Democrats' concerns over a potential default as apocalyptic rhetoric. For the Texas Republican and many other conservatives, the existential crisis facing the U.S. economy is the sheer size of the federal debt, which Arrington said is crowding out private investment growth, affecting wages, and helping drive inflation and interest rates. This isn't to say that Arrington would be willing for Congress to smash through the debt ceiling without transformative fiscal reforms. 
Arrington said he appreciated efforts by House Financial Services Committee Chair Patrick McHenry to keep GOP budget demands thoughtful, serious, and reasonable about the place we can end up under divided government. The Texas Republican also said that before a default occurred, the House could pass a measure of assurance, some form of resolution or legislation that affirms the U.S. government's ability to make debt payments. That may be cold comfort for financial markets, which remain jumpy as the United States continues to wrestle with inflation at home and geopolitical conflict abroad. All right, let's move on to the number two story of the morning, the upper chamber. The Senate is really easing into 2023. That is for sure. That a slow start to the year. They began 2023 with essentially a three-week Senate recess. And when they returned on Monday night, there was one vote on a Defense Department nominee. There were no votes on Tuesday or Wednesday. And committees, which haven't been formally organized yet, were mostly dormant. The Senate ended the week with a fly-out vote on a resolution designating January as National Stalking Awareness Month, something that would normally pass via unanimous consent. The resolution was adopted 94 to 0. The Senate couldn't do much of anything this week because Republicans have yet to figure out their committee rosters, which is preventing the chamber from passing an organizing resolution. It's a little in the weeds, but until that happens, most committees can't advance legislation or move nominees to the floor. GOP leaders are working through a number of snags when it comes to committee assignments because, of course, they have several new members uh, who they need to figure out where they're going to put on what committees. Earlier this week, newly elected Senator Eric Schmidt, the Republican from Missouri, unsuccessfully asked some GOP senators to relinquish their seats on the Judiciary Committee. Schmidt, the former Missouri Attorney General, sought a special waiver, allowing both of a state's senators to serve on a panel. GOP Senator Josh Hawley, also of Missouri, also a former Missouri Attorney General, is also on Judiciary Committee. The GOP conference rejected that waiver. Another issue is that Republicans do, as I was just saying, have so many new members. Majority Leader Chuck Schumer released his committee roster yesterday afternoon, which included new assignments for Senators John Fetterman and Peter Walsh. Republicans have five newly elected members to place on committees. Senate Minority Whip John Thune told us he expects all of this to get worked out by early next week, and then the Senate will need to vote on the organizing resolution. But I think what's important here and, and what we've been talking a lot about internally is the slow start to this year is in many ways an encapsulation of how the Senate is going to operate during the 118th Congress. Compared to the GOP-controlled House, which will pass dozens of bills the Senate will never consider. It's going to be a stark contrast to the last two years when the Senate was historically productive with several landmark bipartisan accomplishments. All right, let's move on to the number three story of the morning. Uh, a really interesting look here at how House Education and Workforce Committee Chair Virginia Fox, the Republican from North Carolina, is looking at trying to pressure the Biden administration. She sent three letters to top Biden administration officials with a very specific ask, be responsive to the GOP majority. In letters to HHS Secretary Javier Becerra, Labor Secretary Marty Walsh, and Education Secretary Miguel Cardona, Fox said that she will be watching carefully to see whether the administration responds more quickly to Democrats than it does to the GOP majority. Of course, Eden Workforce is going to be a very active committee in the Republican majority. The GOP has made education policy a top priority, especially in the post-COVID era. 
Fox has been the top Republican on the committee since 2017. And with that, thanks so much for listening. Please share The Daily Punch. It's the best way for folks to find out about us. You can also sign up for our free morning newsletter at punchbowl.news. Have a great day and stay safe.